Welcome to Bug in the Boardroom, hosted by me, Daniel Agdami, in intimate discussions with successful, sharp-minded business board members, I acquire insights into how they've achieved their success, which in turn may be helpful to you forging your own career success up to executive or non-executive board director level. Bug in the Boardroom is brought to you by Dart Talent and Executive Search, an award-winning executive search boutique serving global clients in financial services and fintech spaces. Also by BoardOwl, the platform matching vetted board members and advisory board members with remarkable startups, small and mid-sized enterprises, and non-profits. Find out more at dartexec.com and boardowl.com. Thanks for listening. It is a great pleasure to introduce you to Pauline Lindwall. Pauline currently serves as a board director on several listed companies in Europe, including McKesson Europe, with an annual turnover of 22 billion euros. The company is a leading international wholesale and retail company and provider of logistics and services to the pharmaceutical and healthcare sectors. With strong brands and 39,000 employees, the group is active in 13 countries and serves over 2 million customers every day. Dunier a company supplying innovative tabletop concepts, creative packaging, and takeaway solutions. The company is pioneering the innovation in environmentally sustainable, single-use packaging. It has 2,400 employees in 23 countries and a turnover of 445 million euros. Its products are sold in over 40 countries. Swedish Match. With a turnover of 1.6 billion euros, the company is predominantly active in smokeless products and is working with innovation in its non-lit products towards a vision of a world without cigarettes. And until recently, Pauline was also on the board of Lundsmenen, the leading agricultural cooperative in Northern Europe, which is owned by 25,000 Swedish farmers and turns over 4 billion euros every year. Pauline's career is wide-ranging in topic and geography, having held senior management roles in marketing, products, and general management in developed and emerging economies such as Sweden, Germany, Nordics, Indonesia, the UK, France, and Southern Europe for Nestle and Mondelez, both of them producers of many of the brands you interact with or enjoy every day in your own homes. Pauline was introduced to me several years ago, and I was instantly impressed by her presence and professionalism, and the combination of those traits with accessibility and warmth. We cover many topics in our discussion, including how she has managed to craft her career whilst also being a mother to her children on what it's like in the boardroom, the good and the bad, the benefits of diversity to the board of every company, and why you should consider joining the advisory boards or boards of directors whilst you're still in full-time work. At this stage, let's launch straight into the discussion. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Pauline, thank you very much for coming in. Of all the hundreds, probably in in the thousands now of interviews that I've held over the last... 15 years. It's actually the very first one I've recorded. So, uh, wow. <laughs> first time for both of us. Uh, thank you very much for, uh, for making yourself available. So um, since 2016, I can see you uh, have only been uh, or focused uh, specifically on advising and boards. And I'll dive right in, I guess, with the question, how did you find this path? How, or how did it find you? Yes, that's right. I think it, it was rather the path finding me. So f- during one of my interviews when I was um, looking for another opportunity uh, after Nestle, I was interviewed for a, for a position at uh, that time called Zelesio, now is McKesson. And I was actually interviewed for some reason of the chairman. Uh, that opportunity I, I, I declined and I left. I, I went to Mondelez instead. But we, we had a very good conversation and contact. And one year later, he called me and said, well, we know each other, Pauline. You know our company. We're looking for a board member, a non-executive board member. And uh, that's uh, how my first seat came, actually. Okay. So um, I cannot say that this has been a kind of a, uh, on my career, a dream or path or whatever. It, it, it just came. And I really enjoyed it. And uh, that's why I was then started to look for, for other board seats. Interesting. And did you do that in parallel to your work at Mondelez or was it uh, after? No, that was in parallel. 
So I had in fact uh, two board seats and that's probably the maximum you can have because I had to do this. Of course, I was, it was all in, in compliance with, uh, with Mondelez, but I decided to do all this work on my holidays. So all the board, which meant at the end I didn't have that much holiday left. So um, probably one board seat is, is enough if you also want to have some, some other time beside, <laughs> beside working. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. And what was the what was the actual process then? Besides the the being spoken to, was there a, a very strict assessment process, or, or was it more more done on a personal basis? The selection. Yeah, I would say the first one was, of course, they had a quite uh, strict process when I looked for that position one year earlier that I was looking for. Uh, so then for the board seat, it was, uh, they knew me and then I had the background I need, they looked for. So for the board seat specifically, I can't say this was a super professional process okay. because that was based on, uh, let's say, the, the earlier connection. But the rest of the board seats I had have all been very professional. It's been through mainly through headhunters and uh, following the normal steps when you, when you are looking for executive position. Excellent. And what were the, if any, were there, were there any surprises about your preconceptions about what a board is, uh, how they act, uh, the decisions they make, and, and what it really then turned out to be? Yeah. Uh, what, what is good to have in mind and understand is there are different, each country have their own way of running boards. So there is no one European, like EU, regulation how you're running boards. Basically, there are two systems. There is a one, two, and a two-tier system. And uh, uh, the the German one is a two-tier system. And that means that you are quite far away from the operational uh, work. So you you have a chairman of the the board and you have a chairman of the executive team. So just that indicates... Um, so, for example, you are informed about the strategy and you are not participating in the strategy. So that for me was, you are really far away from the operational world, which I was kind of within that world why I was in the board. On the other side, if for both uh, Landmännen and Duni and, and uh, Swedish Match, uh, in Sweden we have like a hybrid, so we have a mix of both. So you were quite close to the CEO so the CEO and the CFO participate in the meetings, but they are not member of the board. Interesting. Yeah. Is one of one of the two options, in your view, better than the other or easier than the other? Yeah, no. Of course, I'm Swedish, so I have my Nordic background. But still, actually, I have seen numbers that having this hybrid way of running a board is very efficient. And it also gives you a good insight in, in the company, but you still you still have that strategic view. So I, for me, you get the best of both worlds. So I think that that would be my preferred way of running a board if if I if I could choose. Okay. Mm. Um, and I'm going to come back to something that you mentioned just uh, uh, a couple of minutes ago, which is the number of board positions. Um, uh, you know, one, one could be enough if next to an executive role you still want to have time for other things. Um, going off at a slight tangent, but I think it's very, very relevant to a number of people who will be listening to this. Um, and that's, you know, you yourself have children, uh, two children. I think many, um, well, mainly mothers today, because of the way society uh, is, is run and has been built up, feel it might be difficult to reach the level of success and the, the executive and non-executive level that you have reached. So what's the secret source that you and your partner have applied in order to, what are the arrangements that you've made in order to be able to facilitate the, the success that you've had? Yeah. A very good question. Yeah, of course, my husband is, is a key key, uh, I would say, success factor for me. And he's been very supportive. And we have all through, let's say, our life when children, now they are grown up and and, uh, and left us, but um, have their own life. But while they were living 
with us. We, we, always, we were always sharing and uh, uh, the daily life uh, together. So that's, that's one factor. Um, but also that you are not, you should speak up as a, both a, a mom and a dad, being a parent, how you would like to, uh, to your, your agenda. Then, of course, the worst that can happen is that, well, that doesn't work. Then you, you, you have to decide whether you want to stay or not. But I think you should not hide or be afraid of, of uh, asking for whatever opportunities that might facilitate for you. And that, that's always what I encourage, uh, as I said, both men and women when you have small children, because it's really a, it can be quite tough and you cannot expect life to be the same. So I would say that's, that's the two, two secrets. And not be afraid of asking for help. If it would From be, the outside. Or... Exactly. If it, uh, not everyone are lucky enough to have the parents close by. Um, could be that uh, we identified the, the time when, when the kindergarten was just about to close and we were just about to finish our work. That was a kind of stressful one or two hours. So we asked someone to help us to just pick up the children, which helped a lot. So we came home, they were there, and then, then we could uh, quite, uh, quite uh, organized leave our work and don't just leave everything and, and um, stress. And also for the children, good to know that this, this person came and picked them up every day at the same time. Sure so small things like that, yeah. Yeah, and that, that resonates, I'm sure, with a lot of people, right? Myself included, <laughs> where both me and my wife have, have you know, challenging day to day and work commitments. And it's really a matter of trying to find that, that balance, right? That you can, you can enable each other and, and be there for each other and sort of try to, try to find enough time to focus on family, but also not, not disadvantage your potential tra- career trajectory. Yes. Um, and I'm wondering whether actually the things that you've highlighted are, in fact, I'm, I'm quite confident that the things that you've mentioned, which are success factors for the relationship to facilitate your success, are also success factors or important credentials for people within a board. No? So being able to um, have the tough discussions, not being scared of having tough discussions um, in order to get to the heart of the matter and to find a resolution rather than dancing around it. Um, yes. And I guess to an extent asking, asking for help. Would you agree? Or? Absolutely. And, and uh, especially as I, I still find that the most effective boards are the smaller ones. And even if you are in a, in a bigger board, of course the opportunity to hide behind someone sitting and not saying what is really your opinion here is not possible. So I'm, I'm, I'm quite straightforward there saying, well, you can't hide. So you have to be prepared to always have an opinion and speak up. So I think that's, that's a very good, good parallel. Yeah. Is there anything with the benefit of hindsight you feel you could have done to prepare yourself better for, for life on a board? Uh, I would say that the moment you, first of all, number one, what's always very important, but it's exactly the same thing when you're looking for a, for a new position, is to do your due diligence. And even more important when you are on board, because you also get financially responsible if things go wrong, everyone has to have in mind that there's always a risk. Which I think a lot of people underestimate or don't know about, right? Uh, it sounds sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, and, and yeah. And you always get, of course, honoured and you, a little bit of recognition that someone will like asking you. But you, you, you really need to be absolutely sure that the due diligence is all green lights. Uh, and if there is a red light, beware of it. The other point is uh, to make sure that you get introduction to the business, if it's from the CEO or from meeting the leadership team, uh, spending time, maybe at the site, if there is a factory, but to get to know the business and the company and also to get to know the culture. Because you will, you will the kind of bizarre situation is you are, have a big responsibility. You, you're discussing big investments, very strategic important questions, and still you are only meeting this team three, four times per year. That, then it's very important that you 
rest that you find a way to work together uh, and that you trust each other. Uh, and of course, the chairman is a key person. You need to make sure that you can work together with him or her. I guess that's, that's probably one of the biggest changes, right? Going from a, an executive role where you're rolling with the punches, you see everybody who is impacted by your decisions, you're with them in the front to what you just described, where yeah. I actually just have three meetings per year and you're making extremely powerful decisions <laughs> that affect a lot of people within the company. Yeah, of course. And a way to make sure that you still keep up with what's going on is, of course, to not underestimate the importance of uh, following the industry, which, of course, now is, is, is heaven with, with the internet and uh, all the, the facts and uh, uh, news you can see on all whatever languages you like. So I think that no one can say, I couldn't find information. And the other part is to also be active in between the meetings. So it's not that just one spot, three, four times you meet. But there could be things you see, you hear, you should be active using your network. Uh, maybe you're looking for a special person. Um, you need some specific information. Uh, so that's also important. Not only active in the meetings, but also in between. Okay. And so in total, because yeah, it doesn't sound like a lot, three days per year or three meetings per year. But with all of that additional work, what should people bear in mind in or what should they expect in terms of a total time commitment when, you, when you're thinking about all of the preparation for the meetings as well as helping the company uh, alongside? Yeah, the issue is that it is not always the same time requirement. So if you are sitting in a public board, you are probably issuing quarterly reports and you have the annual report. And that, of course, is a, is a peak and you get the information a couple of days in advance. So you need to make sure that you really can go through everything. Because again, you are the one who sign the reports from the board. So it's difficult for me to say exactly. Uh, because it also depends on, again, is it the two-tier board in Germany? Or is it like the cooperative where I was, was really active in? Because you were expected to be meeting the farmers, presenting the quarterly reports be out at different exhibitions, fairs, and be really active. So there I spent a lot, lot more time than I did on the German ones. I think that's kind of two different uh, times, exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. On the other hand, just to add one, one thing there, I would be really a little bit careful just doing boards mm -hmm. because uh, keeping up to the industry, yes, that's good, but I think it's also good to have one foot two feet into the operational world, whether that is advisory, consultant, etc., that you don't lose completely uh, the reality out there. Which is something you do as well, right? Yes. I think you're an advisor to KPMG, is it? Uh, to Ernst Young. Sorry. Okay. No, no, no. They are the people also. 25% opportunity to pick the right one. Uh -huh. Okay. Excellent. So maybe, yeah, just to, to cover the basics... What are the key benefits to a company in having a board or an advisory board? I mean, for listed companies, it's, it's a, a requirement, isn't it? But yeah, what can you, what can you tell me about where, where companies get the benefits? Yeah. So, and of course, I know that by myself. When you are um, fully operational, you have daily issues, files to take care of. Uh, you work very tactically. And unfortunately, I would say life is getting shorter and shorter in terms of um, if you work in a big, big organization, you have to deliver not uh, only every quarter, every month. So your, your horizon is rather short. And the beauty of having a board is the board's focus is the long term and the strategy. So uh, ideally, you spend two times together, uh, two days together, once a year, where you... Uh, discuss the strategy. And then it's the board's responsibility to follow up on that. So you agree, okay, what is the long-term strategy? Okay. So I think that's the, the beauty. You have someone who always makes sure that you don't lose sight of, of the future. Mm -hmm. And ideally, you also have a diversity of competence in there mm -hmm. to support you. Because the, the, the main 
purpose for the board is to support the CEO and the team to deliver the goals and targets you have agreed. Of course, all with all with the support of the shareholders. Yes. So you are acting on the share or owners agenda. So do you see yourself as part of the board as representing the interests mainly of the shareholders? Yes. That's who you're appointed yes. by? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. And how are, I mean, I've touched on one point, which I'm sure is a, is a selection criteria being competence. So I, I guess the shareholders, uh, the people who are selecting the people to represent them uh, on the board of the company, will be looking to get a, a range of competencies onto yeah. that board. Yeah. What are the other criteria by which people might be selected? Yes. Usually, the board looks at this, of course, except for the competence, for the, for the diversity. Uh, is, uh, they often look at if you have had P&L responsibility and what is the size of the P&L. Why do they ask for that? That is because this is the length through you, that you work through in the board. You always look at the, the full company. Of course, it's always good to come in with a, a depth knowledge in one area, if it's legal or finance, etc. But on the other hand, you also need to understand how you run the company from the other perspective. Leadership experience, what kind of leadership exposure have you had? And also, if you have been sitting in another board, what kind of experience have you learned there? Have you had any CEO change? Have you been through any merger and acquisition? Have you had any crisis? Have you had... Uh, so all that, of course, is useful. And also, if you have been uh, working or leading a committee, you have the uh, remuneration committee, you have the audit committee, etc., etc. That's also a competence to bring with you to a board. Excellent. Well, as you know, we're, we're working on a project right now, which I hope we'll be collaborating on, or sure we'll be collaborating on together, um, which uh, we'll get into more detail on probably at a later date when we're a little bit more ready. But the focus of that is going to be also not just on the size of, or actually it won't be on the size of the company that you are currently on the board of, but we're going to be focusing more on the corporate boards and advisory boards for more small and mid-sized enterprises, non-profits and even startups what would you say would be reasons that companies of that kind of size would look to uh, either enlarge their corporate boards or create advisory boards i think that's a, that's a really really useful uh, because what you will do in an advisory board you will hopefully add value that that you need to move the company to the next level you will find you will get access to a network that you don't have and you will also hopefully have that advisory board uh, having that strategic view as well. Uh, when you are a startup or when you are a smaller company, you normally are even more operational than in the bigger companies. That could really be a, a support for your business. Game changer if you Yeah, like. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And uh, let's say you would like to expand to a new country, you would like to acquire another another company and things you never have done before then you can you can have the competence so it's like a competence center do you touched on expanding into a new country brings me to another question actually so i mean especially nowadays with technology and and how global uh, institutions are would you say it's essential for boards to sit together in person uh, in order to exchange? Or is it also possible to select somebody who's great but sitting in Silicon Valley or something and, and connect to them online? As a board, you are, you are still a, t a team. And in order to get the culture and the, the team to work together, it's definitely necessary to meet. Uh, and ideally meet a couple of times per year. That doesn't mean that you, in between, can have telecoms, etc. So I would definitely recommend to meet. That doesn't mean that you can't bring in some uh, competence or call in for someone. But in order to, to sit and work together in the board, you should definitely meet.
uh, that connection is, is really useful. And ideally also have time for if it's a dinner or meet the evening before and not just effectively go to the meeting and leave again. Huh? So take the opportunity to, to also exchange other things in order to, to, uh, to really get to know each other. So it really is something personal. It's a bit like with a with a with uh, an operational team, right, where you make sure that you get some time away from the office and you get to know each other well uh, so you can rely on each other and, and get yes. to know the little bits and bobs that make yes. people tick the way they do. Absolutely. So that also applies to a yeah. board. It's not yeah. just a... Uh, a cold, um, we're in here, we're making decisions, we move on. Um, okay. And also another perspective on that is to also to sit together and ask key people, key talents from the leadership team to come and present topics also gives you a feeling of what, who are the talents. That gives you a feeling if the leadership team is, is working well or not. Um, so as I mentioned before, at least one meeting off-site where you, where you work together with the leadership team, normally on the strategy, it's, it's very, very useful. Excellent. I'm smiling because it's normally really quiet here. <laughs> Just on this very day, we've decided to record. We've got the <laughs> brass band. Music, <laughs> But uh, I'm not sure how well we hear it, but uh, if we do, it's just adding some, adding some uh, colour to the meeting. So maybe we can move on quickly to the... Um, we've spoken about the companies. We can now perhaps speak about individuals and what uh, becoming a board member or becoming an advisor uh, on an advisory board, um, what, what benefits that can bring you? As a board member, you mean? As a board member, yes, yeah. Yes, yes. You can bring, uh, I talked a lot about network. Um, I think that's, that's really an asset you bring with you. Um, and you can, you bring your old experience you have had during your operational, working as, as an operational, uh, operational job, as well as what you have learned in other boards. And also culture, if you have worked internationally. So all the learnings, and that's something you should ask yourself also. What value can I add to this board? And be very, very explicit about that as well. So share whatever you can. And that means, of course, you need to be active in the meetings because that's your opportunity to, uh, to share and add value. Basically should also give you a... I mean, you're leveraging your experience to an extent, so into different elements. So rather than just sort of continuing to work for the same company, you can leverage what you've learned uh, over the years and can apply that knowledge to a number of companies, which I'm sure is uh, very rewarding. And how do you, what would you advise to, or what would you advise, how, how would you advise people to choose whether or not to join a board or not? What's the sort of selection criteria that they should be applying when they're looking at opportunities? You touched on one earlier, which is uh, what value can I add to this yes, board, right? Yes, so exactly. not to be blinded, I guess, by the board opportunity and just to, to go for it regardless, exactly. but perhaps to look at, okay, is this something, is this a board that really needs my, yeah. my uh, experience? Yeah, yeah that, that's the question to ask yourself. And, and then look at your profile. I mean, do you tick this, have had PL experience, have, been, have had international experience? A great leadership experience, a good network, maybe even a, an, an, another board uh, experience, then you definitely qualify. And you also need to, on one hand, speak up, so be able to uh, talk for your opinion, but also be a good listener. Being active doesn't mean you speak all the time. You have to choose your topics, your battles, asking good questions you learn a lot to ask good questions. I mean, for many people, it sounds, and again, we touched on this briefly earlier as well, it sounds like a, uh, it's a very esteemed role to have as a, as a board member. It sounds great. It adds a lot of credence to your, yeah. your profile. But I can imagine there's also some unpleasant sides sometimes to being a board member. No? Could you elaborate on that? Maybe at the toughest experience you've had in a board or, or maybe some of the typical... Yeah experiences that come up on a regular basis which are really not not so nice yeah i mean i would say two things 
So, of course, the first one to mention is if there is a real crisis. Luckily enough, so far, has not happened to me. But, of course, I have friends who have sitting, been sitting in boards where there have been a, a really big crisis. And then you, you, it's not about four or five times per year. It can be one meeting every week or even more than that. So you constantly need to be alert to the media can be there. The, you need to take quick decisions. It can be work day and night. Then it's really, really hard. So that's just to have in mind. When everything is working smoothly, it's fine. But when the crisis is there, it, it takes a lot of your energy and, and uh, time. The other part, of course, which is also tough and difficult, is when you notice that the team, the leadership team is not working. You have to constantly make sure that the, the CEO is on top of what he or she should be doing. Is the delivery there of, of the objectives? If not, what do you do? Because you are the boss of the CEO. So you are the one who have to constantly evaluate whether that person is doing their job. And if not, it's a tough decision to take because that causes a lot of disruption. On the other hand, if you don't take the decision, if it's well thought through, that's also not good because then whatever happens, you are at the end the one who is responsible. So that are difficult and challenging times. And then another kind of, let's say, not difficult in that perspective, but always a bit challenging is, of course, what is the quality of the pre-read that is sent out? Because it can be four or five hundred pages, which are then repeated in PowerPoint slides if it's not well done, huh? it's not professional done. Or it can be a really high qualified summary that it's then summarized again. So to find that right level on the material that you need to study and read and understand before you go to a meeting, and then to run the meeting in an effective way based on that pre-read, it's a challenge. And the, so the comments you made about the leadership not functioning well, that was related to the executive leadership, so the people... Right, Running, running the yes. business on a day-to-day basis. Yes. Yeah. Um, so the CEO and, and yeah. uh, his or her team uh, of people executing. Have you ever had a, a situation where within a board it's become tough as well, where you realise actually it's, it's, uh, either the chemistry is not so good here or yeah. we're just not going to find a way yeah. to agree on certain yeah. topics? It's either the, always the same person or... Uh, yeah. So what we do in some of my boards, which I think is excellent, is that when the meeting is over... We do a kind of a, a checkout, and uh, so normally the leadership team leaves, and it's just the board in the room, and we just discuss, okay, what was good today, what was not so good, what can we change, and uh, that's a, a really, really good, simple way of of uh, working. Make sure that we, you are working well together, and um, then everyone should again tell it like it is and be quite upfront and. Uh, to the point, and then normally you avoid having uh, problems or not talking about the elephant in the room, etc., etc. So that's the opportunity, and that then I, I believe it's your duty as a board member to, to really, as I said, tell it like this and not talk when you are out of the room, but be very honest and, and transparent and authentic. Comes back to one of your very first points about uh, how you uh, were able to uh, pursue this path, also with your partner, right? And, yeah. and just being open, honest, um, probably communicating well, um, not too brash, but but still being being very direct. And another point that I have learned talking about communication is having different views. It's actually very healthy. There is a tendency in the Nordic that you avoid when it's people have different opinion, they talk about conflicts and in the south it can be more react in another way. The opposite. opposite. <laughs> start to argue a lot. Uh-huh. Whether either way it's not proactive. But I believe that's really healthy in a board for me if we have different opinions. Because if we then also have the ability to listen to each other and respect, okay, that's a different opinion. Why is it like that? 
And then hopefully out of that something even better can come out. So from, from option A and option B actually arises a much better option C um, because you're both considering something, something new. That's interesting. So we were introduced by uh, Maria, Maria Olden, a few years ago, right, who set up uh, the, uh, I think, brilliant um, EDGE strategy yes. and, and uh, certification. Um, and it's a huge topic for, for us, for our clients nowadays, the, the topic of diversity and, and what it can bring a company. And typically in the day-to-day of Dart, of course, most of our focus is on the executive level. Speaking about boards now, what's the importance of a diverse board? Speaking less about uh, sort of skills and competence now, but more about age and, and uh, gender. What's your experience been? Yeah, for me now, it's really not anything you need to discuss any longer. It's a fact. And there are a number of studies which shows that if you have a diverse board, meaning gender-wise and also age-wise, these boards uh, and companies deliver much better result, which is, of course, very satisfying. Another interesting angle is also where we need to push to the next level, which is that the chairman, uh, which hopefully will be more chairwoman in the future. And there is a lady, in fact, at INSEAD, who is called Stanislav Sheksnia, and she has studied the personality for a CEO and for a chairman. Normally, the, the, the CEO have these kind of hard rules which you can measure, that can be taught, problem solving, individual communication, reading, writing, calculation, etc. But what is really interesting that if you would like to be become a, an effective chairman, you need to have more soft initial, uh, intuitive-based skills which is the strategic influencing, uh, emotional awareness, uh, interpersonal communication. And that's uh, what's interesting there is that's something you actually develop through experience and practice rather than reading and uh, learning in school. So that mix is good and you definitely need emotional skills in order to be a successful chairman. So my hope is that uh, we will see more and more women there as well, because um, that speaks for women also stepping up and, and becoming chairwoman. Mm. By generalization, I guess, uh, I think those traits are probably a bit more inherent in women than they are in yes. most men. Yes. Um, yes. I mean, I think we can all develop skills, and as, as women have uh, had to do, uh, adapt to a mainly men-led business world in the past, um, I think men should also be capable of learning uh, and, and applying. I think it's more a matter of focus, right? When some things are more natural, I think we are different to sexes. We're programmed differently in, in, in the first instance, but uh, we can, I think both sexes can kind of learn, uh, you know, or focus on different elements. And we were talking about this briefly earlier, um, where, and you showed me the, the interesting graphic where it was showing um, the skills which are all taught. Yeah. Um, and then these ones that you have mentioned now, it's more the emotional side, uh, leadership, uh, emotional IQ, things like that, which are less taught. And you know, as we were discussing earlier, it's actually those very things which are probably the least replaceable by AI and, and machines going forward. So I think it's in everyone's interest to start focusing more on those, those areas as well. So remaining briefly with the diversity topic, are there any concrete examples that you could think of where... Maybe you don't, but if you do, you know, where, where you feel it was critical, actually, for the board to have had diversity within it to come up with the right solution to a, a problem or, or an opportunity. What I have seen and what I have learned is it's been a lot of discussion around this, but we have been lacking numbers around it to really showing that it gives a positive result at the end of the, of the P&L. And... Uh, that is what we start to see more and more now. So um, I can't really say a concrete example right now, but I can also see the trend among young people appreciating that there is an inclusive, diverse view of how the company is run, what are the values, and uh, rather prioritizing that than uh, maybe even a 
really good salary or uh, so this again the hard the hard uh, numbers then the soft and the, the environment the the uh, the way you treat people etc is is more important so this is a sort of cultural impact yes. then that a more diverse board can have on a on a company yeah yes okay yeah absolutely and actually you touched on young people and that's a, an interesting or a good segue to my next question which is We've seen increasing interest from clients in perhaps adding younger people to their boards uh, than, than beforehand. Of course, not, not only, but to add one or two people, given that technological change uh, and generational change now seems to be much more extreme than, than over the last, say, 40, 50 years. Um, and so those people can get us insights into you know, future customers, uh, next gen connecting and things like that. Is that something that you're seeing, uh, would even recommend or rather not? No, definitely. And uh, I still do believe that, I mean, the tendency is that uh, the average age is probably around 59, 60 in many boards, which is far too high, I believe. So when we talk about younger, I would still recommend that these younger people coming in have some of these boxes I I talked about uh, whether it's international experience or a bit wider business experience as well in order to understand how the company is is uh, is working so not only coming with the specialist uh, lens but some other qualifications as well but definitely we need to be more diverse in terms of age uh, the tendency is that in many boards you sit for a long time, which is not good either. There should be a healthy flow of new people coming in, new board members coming in. And so I definitely encourage encourage that. And that's the, the places where you can influence this is definitely in the nomination committee, okay. which is normally selected based on from the shareholders or the, the, um, the owners. And, and that, that's the place where you can really make sure that you, you have a flow of new incoming board members as well as age, gender and other diversity. So the nomination committee is appointed by the owners or, or shareholders of the business. And are they typically people who are operative within the company or are they completely outside? They are normally completely outside. So to take three really typical examples. So, for example, the farmers, the owners were 27,000 farmers. So the nominating committee was farmers. So they were selected by the 27,000, these five, six people who were the nomination committee. And they, some of them were changed every year. So they were the one who interviewed and who made a selection of the board members. Then if you take Duny, there is a family who have 30% of the shares. And one of the family members are actually sitting in our board as well. So they also have a high influence, of course, on who is nominated into the, into the board. And the other extreme example is Swedish Match, where one, uh, f- uh, the biggest shareholder have maybe 1% or 0.5%. So they are very spread of a lot, a lot of funds. So the three biggest um, share funds, let's say funds, have uh, a a, a nomination committee. So that depends very much how the owner structure looks like. Yeah, I mean, you you touched on your uh, the various companies uh, on which you're you're sitting on the board. They're very varied in in terms of their their areas of expertise. Maybe you can tell tell us a bit about them and and what they have in common in a way, because you are the same Pauline, <laughs> regardless whether you're sitting with Duty yeah. or Swedish yeah. Match yeah. Uh, or another firm. Yeah. Um, so w- what are the things they look for from you? And maybe you can give us a bit of insight into some yeah. of the exciting things going on with those companies. Yeah. And I think that's what I really like with my portfolio. It's, uh, and that's also ge- given me a lot of insight into completely new industries and areas, which is fascinating. I think that's one of the beauty and the advantage of of, uh, sitting in a board, that you get to know that industry very well. And um, what is interesting is is to, from the board, to really ask the owner 
for a very precise um, directive. And the directive, as I mentioned, can be very different if it comes from the farmers who make sure that whatever they invest goes back to the, to the farmers again. So it can be a bit difficult to explain why have we acquired a, a bakery in Russia to uh, what what does it how does it help that uh, farmer down in the south of Sweden you can have a directive from your from the owner saying we should be um, profitable we should be self financing we should be global but we should never sell it that's another directive which is of course completely different if you say um, we should give good return we should have a high dividend politic, uh, politic and uh, we should look after our brand and everything should be done within the framework of our shareholders. That's a bit wider. Our Duny owner, the biggest owner there, he is very precise that the board should never be more than four or five people. He wants simple, small, because he believes that that gives a more active and more effective board. Which is... A small number of people for yes. such a large company. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's and that's the same for all his companies. And he's a big uh, shareholder in Sweden. <laughs> and Duny, just for the record, is turnover of about four hundred and fifty-five million per euros per year. Yeah. Wow. Interesting. Now we get a lot of interest from people who we deal with in our daily work. Yeah. Um, from, I would say, people who are in their late 30s to mid 50s, specifically in board opportunities. We're nearing the end of the time we've got available now, so maybe you could sort of close a little bit with with either some advice you would give them on whether they should consider it or not and how they should best prepare themselves uh, for that, what actions they should take to, to, to... get onto those boards. You should definitely be very outspoken about that you're interested in uh, in a board seat. You should uh, speak with your network. You should uh, speak with your network of headhunters. So it's known that you are a candidate for a board. Um, it's also good to do an inventory of your competence. Um, it could be that you find out that your finance competence is a bit weak. There are really excellent online finance courses you can do. Uh, IMD in Siad, uh, probably at universities in uh, in Switzerland as well. I think you've done the IMD one yourself. Yes, that was excellent. Eight weeks of hardcore finance. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, that, that was really, really good. Huh? So that's that's to make sure that you, you are really up for, for a seat. And then it's a, g- a good idea as well to Try to get on one of the advisory boards, uh, smaller, maybe a startup company, just to, to to learn how it works. Then you are better prepared when the big public listed board is coming up to get some experience. Because so I guess in the selection by listed companies, they will also look at experience like that as being highly valuable. Absolutely, absolutely. So you start build, building yourself uh, a bit of a portfolio, I guess, um, yeah. and track record in boards uh, yes. as you would in, in operational executive roles as yeah. well. And then another, another question that you, you haven't asked, but I think a lot of, of our listeners are, are wondering is, well, what about the, the money then? What, the, what is the financial <laughs> compensation? Yeah. And unfortunately, there is not a, a one answer because as it is... Uh, differently managed boards in Europe, it's also very differently rewarded. So, luckily enough, Switzerland is one of the countries where if you are sitting in a public listed board, it's quite a good fee. They are all public, so you can just look at the annual uh, uh, report, and there you will find what the, f- the fee is for every company, so it's no hidden... I hidden see a lot of people now hitting the internet. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> So, uh, uh, and uh, then in uh, in other countries, it's not that high. So, Switzerland is probably one of the best rewarded financially uh, from board perspective. However, you are also 
responsible in another way here in Switzerland. So you are responsible for the strategy. You might even have a strategy committee. You need to work with the strategy. So you probably put a lot more work in. I haven't had experience yet from a Swiss board, but that's what I have learned. So there is a reason why the compensation fee is quite, quite good here. I believe it's well worth the investment in terms of time. And I would never have learned uh, how it is to run a farm if I wouldn't have had a board or uh, how, how you develop a serviette for, for the dining, etc., etc. So you learn new things. So if you like learning, if you are curious, it's, it's also very good. So I guess that's something you need to weigh up as well when you're thinking about uh, taking on an opportunity, right? If it's, it's, I guess for most people, especially if they're looking at these kind of things before they've completed their executive career, it shouldn't be their primary source of income or even one of the most important decision uh, criteria, right, in whether to take something on. And that's why I think it, it is a good combination, actually, when you start to feel now it would be interesting to get to know and do it. So try out one board seat, even if it's an advisory or a non-profit or a whatever, and you um, organization while you're working, because then you, you, you can see, is this something which works for me, rather than taking the risk and going on a, on a more reputational, high reputational board. It's worth trying out, I would say. Super. Pauline, I think we have to wrap up now. Um, but thank you very much for your fascinating insights. Um, sure of great value to everyone who's listening to this. I look forward to collaborating with you going forward uh, in various aspects of uh, board and advisory board memberships. Me too. Thank you. Pleasure being here, Daniel. Thank you. Hi, this is Daniel again. Thank you for listening to this episode of the podcast. If you enjoyed it, please do subscribe and feel free to make contact with comments, praise or suggestions for improvement. If these prove popular, I could see us recording a few more. Thanks again.